Bible Girl Podcast. I'm Jessica Robinson, and I've gathered my Bible, my journal, some study tools, and highlighters in every color for study time. From the practical to the inspirational, I pray that these podcasts give you the tools and motivation to be a Bible Girl, too. I'm so excited to welcome you back to the Bible Girl podcast. This is my second episode back after my medical leave, and I'm kind of getting in a groove with podcasting. I'm actually recording several episodes today, which should keep us on track with our every other week posting, even when I go out for my last surgery. So um, I'm excited about this. I'm so happy to be back with you guys, and uh, we're going to talk today about the best question you can ask when you study the Bible. And I'm going to um, talk about that question very briefly, and then we're going to actually look at a passage, and I will show you some things that I learned from that passage when I asked that question. So we're going to jump in today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm actually going to read to you um, the entire chapter. It's just 24 verses. We're going to read that before we get started, and then we're going to uh, talk a little bit about um, our good and great God. Genesis chapter 3 starts in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is a passage that's very familiar to many, the fall of man when Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God's only command that he gave them when he placed them in the garden and ushered sin into the world. We aren't going to deal quite so much today with the actual sin itself, but we're going to talk about the repercussions of that sin and how God handled things after Adam and Eve disobeyed. The first question to ask in reading or studying the Bible every time you open a passage of the Bible is to ask yourself, what do I see about God? This is the focal point of scripture. The scriptures are intended to teach us about God, to tell us what he's doing in the world, how he is working to redeem the world. They are the, the, the gospel, the story of what God is doing. And every passage in some way forwards this gospel story. And so we need to start always, whenever we read a passage, the most important question we bring to it is, what do I see about God? What does this passage tell me about God, about who he is, about his character, about what he's doing, how he acts, um, what, he's, what he's thinking, the conversations he's asking, the questions he's, he's giving. Um, all of these things, as we look at the scriptures, they show us a, a picture of God and they help us understand who he is. And ultimately, this is the, the big reason for getting into scripture, to know God. And so this question is important to ask. It's important to ask every time you open the Bible. It's important to ask it when uh, you hear a passage read, when uh, the pastor is reading a passage on a sermon, or when you're listening to a podcast or a sermon online, or when you're doing a Bible study in a group or by yourself. Every time you should just get in such a habit of thinking about the scriptures as God's story and what's going on, what is he doing, that it should just come natural to you. you these things should just leap off the page when you hear scripture read. Um, and over time, if you continually ask that question, that's exactly what will happen. You'll begin to see God all over scripture in, in places you hadn't even noticed before. Our summer book club is looking at a book uh, called Finding Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And that is certainly um, the point that I'm making here is that, you know, Jesus is, is the gospel is written into the fabric of scripture and it's telling us something about God all the time. Now, I want to clarify something here because I get this every once in a while. Um, I, I often will teach the seven arrows Bible study method and people will contact me and say, well, well, I want to add a new question. I had a couple people um, that have asked, you know, can I edit your your seven arrows paper? And I always remind people that it's not mine, that I, I did take it from a book um, and that I, I teach it, but that it's not my method. Um, so they don't really need my permission to add to it. But when I question question what they want to add, they're always wanting to add a question about Jesus. Um, but 
when I, when I say God, and, and even in the Seven Arrows Method, the, the uh, authors that wrote that book and article um, with that method, we're using God in a Trinitarian sense, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So you don't need to necessarily have a whole uh, gamut of questions that you're looking for. We're going, we're approaching this and saying, where do I see God? And you may see God himself as the Godhead, the, the Trinity working together. Um, you'll see that. In fact, we, we saw that in this passage. Um, when God said um, the in Genesis 3.22, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. He's, he's, he's referring to the fact that there is, there is a father, a son, and a spirit that's involved in, in this, that is, that is components of this, of this God, um, that it's a, a plurality or a Trinitarian look at this. He's saying one of us, um, he's, he's become just like one of us. And, so in this passage, you are seeing God as representing all three. Other times, you'll see them listed individually. I think immediately of uh, the baptism of Jesus, when Jesus is being baptized by John. So you have uh, God the Son going into the water when he comes out. Uh, God the Spirit, the spirit of a dove that looks like a dove descends upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit um, anoints him there in the water. And then you hear the voice of the Father, God the Father, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In this passage, you see all three of them doing um, their own uh, unique uh, component of this story. Um, in Genesis, we just see God as him as all three together. Um, some passages you'll just see, you clearly tell that this is God the Father that's speaking, or you'll see uh, Jesus uh, there, or just the Holy Spirit. Um, just know that when, when we say this question, what what do I see about God? What am I learning about God in this passage? It could mean uh, God, you know, the Trinity. It could mean the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. So um, some areas of the Bible, in fact, like in the Gospels, I would say you're going to see Jesus most often. Um, but in other sections of Scripture and Acts, you're going to see the Holy Spirit very active. Um, in the Old Testament, you'll often just see God, but understand that that Jesus is uh, and the Holy Spirit are present and active in these as well. So um, I, I just wanted to kind of clarify that we don't need to go back later and ask another question, where is Jesus and where is the Holy Spirit? Um, by God, we're just we're looking for any part of the Trinity that is active in the passage of Scripture. So that's the big question to ask. When you approach scripture, you just ask yourself, what do I see about God? And you start training yourself to look at scripture with that lens every time you open the word of God. Now, to give you a little example, I'm going to tell you some things that really jumped out at me in this passage about God as I read it. And um, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been studying my Bible since I was in, in junior high. And um, I have been... Uh, soaking in this question for so many years that as I read the scripture, things just leap off the page at me about God and what I'm learning about him. And I want to focus specifically on what happens after their sin. Um, they, we, we see that, um, I'd love to get in the opening part and talk a little bit about the blame game going on there. Adam blaming Eve, Eve blaming the serpent and um, a little bit about some of that, but we're, we're going to take a look specifically at when Jesus or God comes to them in the garden and he's looking for them. He comes to them in the cool of the evening. This appears to be something that is, um, a normal occurrence, um, 
I don't, I don't, they're not scared because he showed up. They're scared because they realized that they were naked and he came. Um, and so I think this is something that God did with them. I think he uh, came to meet with them in the garden in the, the cool of the day. Um, they, he was walking in this garden that he created and he was looking for Adam and Eve. So we're going to pick it up there and we're going to see a few things that I really, that really just leaped out at me as I began to look at this passage and ask the question, what do I see about God? The first thing that I noticed was that God met their needs in spite of their disobedience. You know, he only gave them one command when he put them in the garden. We didn't read that part specifically, although uh, the serpent does allude to it somewhat incorrectly. Um, but he, they were told that they were not able, allowed to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And um, up until this point, they had obeyed. But at this, this point, the serpent tempted them and they disobeyed and... So this one, they had this one rule that God had given them and they disobeyed. They, they chose to, uh, allow the serpent to color their thinking and to make them doubt God. And so when they disobeyed uh, and God shows up, they're ashamed and God doesn't, uh, he does condemn them, but he doesn't, um, it, ignore them. He does not uh, dismiss them uh, from his his presence. He does not um, he, he doesn't turn from them. And, and instead, what he does is he begins to explain what's going to happen now because life is changing for them. And he, he begins to explain, this is the consequences of what you've done. And he gives them this explanation and then he he begins to care for them um, and and take care of the needs that they have um, in spite of their disobedience. And a couple of things I noticed about meeting their needs. He, he met their physical need. He gave them clothing. Uh, the Bible says that he made uh, clothing of skins for them. You know, they, they used their um, fig leaves to make loincloths, but that wasn't going to be able to sustain them, especially when God was sending them out of this garden and their work, their their labor that God had given them this um, this uh, charge to, uh, to to work the earth is going to get much harder now, and so um, they're going to need some su substantial clothing to take care of their physical need, and so God makes them this clothing of skin now. A lot of people remark that this is the first sacrifice that Jesus actually, or that God actually sacrificed as a picture of Jesus coming a sacrifice for them and that he took the, the, um, the skins from the animal that he sacrificed and made clothes for them out of it. We don't really know that that's the case. I think that's something people kind of read into that passage. It may have, that may have been the case. Um, I don't know. We don't know what these skins were or whether he sacrificed an animal for them. We do know that God doesn't need something to to create something. God uh, creates out of nothing. Um, all of us are just working with God's creation to make things, but uh, God can create from nothing. And so he may have just created them clothes on the spot without um, needing to sacrifice an animal. We don't exactly know what those clothes were, but we do know that he took care of that part of their physical need. Um, 
Another thing he did is he took care of their emotional needs. And that was part of the gift of clothing as well. They saw themselves uh, differently after they ate from the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they saw themselves as, as, as something to be ashamed of, that their, their nakedness was something that they needed to hide from each other. And so the clothing was to cover their shame as well, to, to give them an a, a emotional barrier so that they didn't have to uh, live with that shame on display. But also he met their emotional emotional needs by blocking the path to the tree of life. If they had continued to eat from this tree of life, uh, they would have lived forever and they would have seen the uh, magnitude of their sin. I think for the uh, hundreds of years that they did live, I think that was uh, punishment enough and pain enough for them. And I think uh, allowing them to continue to get to that tree um, and eat that fruit and to continue to live, imagine them still being alive today and seeing the destruction in the world and how far we've come from the perfection of the garden would have been an emotional burden that would have been too great for them to carry. And I think God did them a kindness in, um, in this. He took care of that emotional need of theirs and he he blocked that path for them so that um, by eating uh, they would suffer greatly and he he didn't want them to do that and he uh, met their emotional need there by blocking that tree but he also met their spiritual needs and if you look at the initial conversation that jesus uh, that god has with the serpent he says um because you've done this you're going to be cursed but there's a, a really important verse in verse 15. And um, I, being a, a writing major, English major in college, I always notice like words, individual words really stand out to me. So in verse 15, God is saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is not just random offspring. This is not just um, enmity between you and the woman in, in all of your offspring. He is speaking about a specific person and a specific instance. And this is the gospel here, the beginnings of uh, what will happen one day. Uh, the 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 offspring of the woman is is Jesus. He is born of Mary and um, a descendant of Eve, and he will um, crush Satan, and the serpent will um, will get his own um, bite in. It says that you know he's the serpent's going to bruise the heel of this of this descendant, this offspring, um, and Jesus will die. Um, but ultimately, that death will be the destruction of the serpent. And so he is uh, beginning to care already for their spiritual needs. He is telling them in this, even though I doubt they understand the, the ramifications of all of this, His uh, God's very specific wording there uh, tells us that there's a plan in place here and that... Um, he uh, will one day bring about a Messiah who will destroy the serpent and their spiritual needs, that uh, connection to God that was once so precious and is now uh, 
clouded by sin will be restored. And um, so he's taking care of their, um, of the spiritual needs that they have. And this brings me to the second thing I want to say that stood out to me when I asked the question, what do I see about God? And that is that God is never taken by surprise. Now, we are, and it's sometimes easy to, when something happens that we don't anticipate, um, it's easy to get worked up or to panic. Um, there, there are some types of people who just handle this stuff really well. And there's other people that are, you know, running through the house, you know, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And then there's others of us who put on a brave face, but inside are panicking. <laughs> Things happen that we don't anticipate. I did not expect to be diagnosed with cancer at the age of 48. I did not expect that. I no one does. No one expects to have bad things happen to them. No one sits around and knows that tomorrow this horrible thing's going to happen. They surprise us. They take us by surprise. Um, but God is never surprised. This this happens. God comes to them in the garden, and He's got this plan. He through clearly through these pat these verses, starting in verse fourteen, when He explains the curse and the ramifications of it for each of them, He is clear that there is a plan in place now. That because this happened, there this thing is set in motion, and God knew this. God knew that they were going to sin, and a plan was already in place. Nothing surprises God. So whatever you're going through in your life, it might have been a surprise to you, but God was ready. God was working behind the scenes. God was preparing you. He was preparing anyone else involved in this. God was putting the the right people in place. He was putting things in motion. He was teaching you things all along. He knew this was coming. So he's prepared. And I hope that that maybe gives somebody a little bit of comfort today, that uh, when something takes you by surprise, you can breathe deeply and rest in the fact that this did not surprise God. My mom always likes to say to me when I get worked up about something, she says, she'll say, do you think God was up in heaven and saw this and went, oh, what are we going to do about that? That's not the case at all. God knew. He knew what was coming. God is not surprised by the things that come into our lives. And uh, God was not surprised by their sin. Which leads me to another thing that jumps out at me about God when I read this passage. And that's that God wants our love to be freely given. That's why God gave them a choice. If God had not given them the choice to choose something other than him, then their love wasn't freely given. God gives us a free will. He gives us the choice to choose him and we can, or we can choose something else. We can choose to believe or in something else. We can choose to put our hope in something else. We can doubt God. We can make that choice and God wants us to come to him willingly. And so he gives us free will. He wants that love from Adam and Eve. He wanted their obedience to be offered to him, not forced. He won't force anyone. He will allow us to make our choices. And we see that very, very clearly in this passage. I've had many people over the years just wrestle with this idea of how could God put that tree in the garden if, if he knew we were going to do this? Well, that's why. Because he wanted us to choose him. He wanted us to love him. And he wanted that love to be freely given, not something that's forced out of us. Which leads me to the last thing I want to mention, and that is that God wants a relationship with his creation. 
We see God coming down in the cool of the day, looking for Adam and Eve. We imagine we, the, the hymn in the garden about God walking and talking with us. I imagine that in many ways that was the, the hardest thing that Adam and Eve lost when they were cast out of the garden and, and sent to work. Uh, they lost the, the ability to have a relationship with God in such a close and intimate, personal way. Um, it, it became something, if you look through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was a gift that was given to certain people to accomplish the will of God, but the rest of them were cut off from that. And so until Jesus came, there was this barrier between us. And God desires this relationship with his creation, and they lost it. But praise God, he had a plan, and Jesus came, and he died for our sins, and he bore our punishment, and he conquered death, and he rose again. And now he sits in heaven, and he intercedes for us. And because of this, we have the same standing with God as Jesus does. We are his beloved children, and he once again can be in relationship with us in a way that Adam and Eve lost. What an inspiring thought to think that God wants a relationship with us. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you uh, just uh, someone recommended you listen or you found me by accident and you're not really sure what this is all about and you'd like to know more about how we can have a personal relationship with God, how we can know that we will be with God one day uh, when Jesus returns, please feel free to email me at BibleGirlPodcast.com. I'd love to answer your questions as best I can and uh, I look forward to talking with anyone who wants to know more about how God God wants a personal relationship with him or her. You know, as we take a look at this question, what do I see about God? We begin to see a God that is much bigger than we imagine, but is also much more personal than we might imagine. This is a question that I think you will spend a lifetime asking. I have read the story of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden uh, hundreds of times in my life. And each time I read it, there's a new glimpse of what God uh, is doing and who God is, something new that I see. There is a lifetime of learning about God and his scriptures. And I encourage you to find out about how good and great our God is by looking at the the verses, opening up your Bible and saying, what do I see here about God? I think it's a question that will change your life. I think it's a question that will fascinate you for all the days to come. May God bless you as you read next uh, week, or actually two weeks from today, uh, podcast will be our 100th episode, and uh, it's already recorded and ready to go. I'm really excited about it. It is the message of Bible Girl. It is everything that I want to to tell you, everything that um, I, I did this podcast for. Um, I'm really looking forward to you hearing it and uh, the follow-up podcast, um, which is also um, a really a big message and something that you hear a lot from me and will continue to hear more from in the the years to come as we continue podcasting may god bless your day and we'll look forward to seeing you back at the podcast next time thanks for listening go to biblegirlpodcast.com to email me download show notes sign up for my newsletter print a monthly scripture writing list and listen to past episodes Join the Bible Girl Facebook group to get the latest podcast news and to interact with me and other listeners. I'm all over social media as Jessie L. Robinson. That's J-E-S-S-I-L Robinson. I'd love for you to friend or follow me. Join me again for another episode of Bible Girl.